0: The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I want to welcome you here. I'm glad you're here. We get the privilege of finishing um, Luke this morning. We have a really important text, but if you've been with us before, you know that we are only in Luke chapter 8, and uh, you know that we have quite a bit of ways to go before we're done in Luke, and you are correct. But listen, here at Stone Oak Bible, we believe and we are absolutely committed to just simply and clearly teaching through Scripture. And so what we, what we do because of this, we walk through books of the Bible together, we walk through the long books and the short books, the New Testament books, the Old Testament books, the uh, familiar books, and the less familiar books. Now, um, we, we love this, and we hope, we hope that we get the joy, the privilege to teach the entire Bible here. We, we love this. Um, but there's a challenge in doing this, and that challenge is, here's the reality. For certain books, they take a really long time to get through, whether it be because they're just long or they're just really thick and rich and it just, it takes some time to get through. Um, Listen, Luke is one of those books. Luke is both long and rich and thick. And so as we, how do we approach these books, right? We don't want to avoid them just because, you know, it'll take us 15 years to get through. We don't want to avoid them, right? So what do, we, what do we do? Well, there's an old saying that how do you eat an elephant? Eat one bite at a time, right? It's a weird saying, but, you know, we're going to approach these big books a little bit like approaching an elephant, one bite at a time. Um, so when I say we're closing our time together in Luke this morning, in chapter 8, we are not at all finished with it, and we will be back. Uh, to tackle the remaining 16 chapters. We're going to be back. Um, but before we dive into to Luke 8, um, I do want to give you a heads up on where we're heading. Starting next week, we are going to be looking at the book of Joel. Joel is a minor prophet who is often neglected, Uh, Maybe it is because of just the insane amount of locusts in the book. It's a little weird, you know. Uh, Don't let that scare you. Kids, you'll love it. Um, But this, uh, this book is so important. It's so important because God takes sin seriously. Our God still takes sin seriously. And Joel is gonna remind us That our God is righteous, perfect, holy, and he is our judge. And Joel's going to point us to this day called the day of the Lord. This future day. It's the same day of the Lord that the other prophets talk about and the New Testament authors uh, talk about as well. But Joel's going to point us forward to the day of the Lord. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at three things the first thing, by the way, we're only going to be in this book for three short weeks, um, so, but the first thing that we're going to look at is we are going to look at God's view of sin in the day of the Lord. The second thing we're going to look at is our response to sin and repentance, and the third thing we are going to get the joy of looking at is the coming of the Lord. So, I hope you're going to be able to join us all three weeks. I want to I give you a challenge, though, um, as I said this week on the weekly, uh, it, it would take the average reader, some of you are above average, some of you are maybe below average, but it takes the average reader uh, 12 minutes to read through the book of Joel. Joel. So let's just give it a range, 10 to, 12, or 10 to 15 minutes, right? 10 to 15 minutes, average reader to get through this book. Now, I know that you're busy. I know we're busy, right? It's 15 minutes. You got this. So I want to challenge you to read this book. Some of you have maybe never read this book before. But I want to challenge you to read it and ask already that God would prepare us for where we are going in this book. Now, let's, for this morning, come back to Luke 8, and and listen, I believe God has something for us. As we close our time together in Luke, I believe God has something important for us, and so as we turn to this, I want to invite you, would you just join with me and let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. As simple as this may sound, thank you for telling us about who you are. Thank you for telling us about Jesus. Thank you for revealing who you are and who we are in Christ. You are such a good and a gracious God. And now we come to your word and we ask that you speak. We ask that you give us ears to hear. And we ask that you change us through your spirit and your power and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We are going to continue on looking at this narrative um, that Luke has been giving us about Jesus. And just to catch us up, if we were to zoom out for just a second, um, what we have seen in this section of Luke is Luke demonstrating the power and authority of Jesus over all things. Uh, If we zoom out, we see Jesus who forgives sin in chapter 7. Who does that? Well, Jesus does. We see Jesus calming a storm in Luke 8. I mean, speaking, rebuking nature, and nature listening. That's incredible. We see Jesus exercising his authority over the supernatural, over the demonic. Dan did a great job walking us through this last week. Jesus rebukes a demon, and like that storm, the demon listens and and obeys his voice. It's incredible. Now, Luke here is going to continue to demonstrate the power and the authority of Christ here in our text. And so we are going to pick up actually in verse 40. Uh, In Luke 8, 40. let's Let's read this together. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. This was an urgent scene. This was a time-sensitive moment and scene. This 12-year-old little girl was on the verge of dying, and this father was broken, he was desperate, and he comes and he just lays himself out for Jesus to intervene, and Jesus hears him, has compassion, and Jesus goes. Now, uh, Jesus is heading that way, right? Remember, this is an important, time-sensitive, urgent matter, life and death, but as Jesus is heading that way, there's another situation that pops up. We see this. We listen to this. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Uh, verse 43. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Are you following me here? Luke said this woman was desperate. Listen, we don't know the exact sickness. Uh, We have some guesses. But those don't really matter, because here's the point. Being sick like this, 12 years, is a long time to be sick. Twelve years is a long time to be sick, and the level of hopelessness is even more exemplified when Luke tells us that she'd been trying to get answers for 12 years, that she dropped her life savings to try to get answers for 12 years, and her hopelessness is just exemplified all the more when Luke tells us that in spite of her trying to get answers, no one could help her, and no one could give her healing. For 12 long years... There's no answer to be found. So Jesus, if you, if you kind of hang with this scene here, Jesus is on his way to a really urgent life and death situation, and he walks right into another. And so this text says that this woman, in desperation, reaches out just to touch his clothes. Again, just showing the level of hopelessness and how desperate the situation is. Just touch, just touch the clothes. Then in verse 45. And Jesus says, said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Uh, that's an honest question, right? Um, Jesus, you're, you're kind of in the middle of a crowd of people. Jesus, we're kind of bumping into each other as you're asking this question. Jesus, people are touching you. We're all touching Jesus. Why are you asking this question? This is weird. What's going on? Honest question. But Jesus said, verse 46, someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. Jesus says, I know people are bumping all over each other. I know people are touching me. But someone reached out and touched me for a purpose. Someone reached out and touched me in desperation and hopelessness. Not just because they bumped into me. No, someone touched me and it was different. Someone touched me and just experienced healing. Someone touched me. This is a direct question by Jesus. And you know what this question did here? Here in this moment, Jesus is letting this woman know I see you. You are not hidden. How, is it, how incredible is it that our Jesus sees us when we are desperate and hurting? Jesus lets this woman know, I see you. And that message, I see you, is exactly the message that this woman took away. Look at verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. And how she had been immediately healed. What an incredible scene. So Jesus says to her, verse 48, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I want to just state the obvious here. Church, Jesus did not have to stop. Jesus did not, on the one hand, he didn't even have to heal this woman. He could have kept walking. He had something urgent. He had a life and death situation he had to get to. He had every right to just go, go, get through it. I have something I have to get through. He he had every right to keep walking. Not only that, though, he had every right not to stop and ask the ridiculous question, who touched me? He had every right to keep walking. But he stops, showing this woman that he sees her, Jesus understands something that we often, that I often forget. Jesus understood his perfect authority over all things. And because of that, here's what he was able to do. He was able to stop and act on compassion. He was able to stop what he was doing to see the hurt that was around him The hopelessness of this woman, he was able to stop what he was doing to see the needs of the people around him. He was able to stop. Church, don't rush past this. The compassion of our God is on display here in this text. The compassion of our God. Jesus did not have to stop. He did not have to let this woman know that he saw her. He did not have to Show his care for her. He didn't have to heal her at all. But we see the compassion of Jesus to simply stop, regardless of the pressing situation that he was in, to stop and to address. Now, this can be really difficult. I just want to kind of step into these shoes for for a second. Um, We have important things to do. We have urgent things to do. We have good things to do. And let's be honest, interruptions are the worst. Interruptions are the worst, especially if you're like me and you're a planner. No, interruptions are the worst, right? Because of this, though, we can go about our lives with, with uh, with um, I'll call them holy blinders on, where we're laser focused on on what's ahead of us, what we're doing, what's urgent, what is even good. We are focused in and we live our lives with these blinders on to the needs that fall outside of that plan, to the needs around us. We can say things like, look, I can't focus on that right now. Look, I I can't give myself to that. I can't try to meet all these needs, right? I have this on my plate. I'm working toward this. This is the direction I'm headed. This is what I'm focused on. And with that focus, that can serve as blinders to the needs around us. But hear me. When we understand the authority and the sovereignty of Christ, that he is in control, that it's not about us, but that all authority is his, when we understand that, then we are able to walk our lives without the blinders. Because we know it's not about us. We know that God is in control. And we know that God wants to use us. And it gives us a a bigger picture view when we're able to trust our God like that. Now, yes, you can still be focused You can still plan. You can still have a direction. But church, when we encounter a need, when we understand that it's not about us, that our God is sovereign, then we are able to stop and we're able to see. Trusting in the authority of Christ gives us as God's children the ability to live our lives without the holy blinders, to embrace the holy interruptions, to live our lives like Christ did, now, are you and I going to meet each and every need that we come across? No. Because you're not the Savior. You are not the Messiah. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, though, is that God wants to use you. I mean actually wants to use you to make a difference in someone else's life. And I am saying, hear me, this will, some of you need to get a shirt that says this. Um, I am saying that God might interrupt you on purpose. You see it as this holy accident. No, that might have been quite purposeful. God interrupts us on purpose. The fact is that Jesus did not have to stop. He did not have to take the time to see this woman. Let me just push this real further just real quick. The same way that Jesus didn't have to stop and didn't have to see this woman. Church, he didn't have to stop and he didn't have to see you. But praise God that Jesus, the all-powerful, the one with authority, is also the one with all compassion and grace. And praise God that Jesus is not too big, too removed, too important for interruptions. And now we get to model ourselves after him. As light as this may sound, this is important. If our Jesus is not too busy, neither should we be. Jesus stops. Now, the mood in our story is going to shift very quickly. We go from a scene of healing to now in verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house, that's Jairus' house, came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. The the little hope that we were clinging to is now gone. It's done, it's over. But then, verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe. And she will be well. Let me just remind us again, our Jesus has all authority. Verse 51. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Jesus says, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. Verse 53, and they laughed at him, because they knew he was dead, they knew she was dead. They laughed. It seems like that kind of laugh that just kind of pops out when you don't believe something, like, huh, that kind of... (laughs) Laugh that, that pops up, sometimes you don't even know it's coming up, but it pops up when you don't believe something. That's, what I, that's what's, what's happening here. Uh, I, I think of uh, Genesis 18 when the angels say, Abraham, Sarah, you're gonna have a kid. And Sarah huh, laughs, right? It's the same laughter here. It's this laugh of I can't believe what you're about to tell me. I'm too old for this. It's the same thing. It's this laugh saying I can't believe this because she's dead. We see her, she is dead. It's this kind of mocking laugh here. Notice here, though, Jesus does not respond to this with words, he responds to it in deed. Verse 54 But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And then Jesus does something strange here. He he directed that something should be given to her to eat. Her parents were amazed. But get this, he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now, we're not told explicitly why Jesus says, Hey, I know that was the most single most incredible thing you've ever witnessed in your life, but you can't tell anyone. We don't know why. In fact, if you remember just a scene prior when the when the The demonic guy was 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 rebuked. The demons were rebuked by Jesus, and the pigs or the demons went to the swine. Right? You remember that? Jesus tells him, "Hey, return to your house." This is in verse thirty-nine, and declare how much God has done for you. In other words, go and tell everyone. And then, just one moment later, now here Jesus says, "Hey, don't go. Don't tell anyone." Now, I, I won't spend much time here, but I will say this. Understand that the miracles were never the center of Jesus' ministry and life. In, in fact, Jesus and the kingdom of God were always the center of Jesus' life. Now, there are times when, many times, when the miracles pointed directly to Jesus, directed everyone to look up and to realize who he is. It drew the focus up, pointed to his authority, but the miracles themselves were never the point. Never the point. The one who possesses the authority is the point. Jesus Christ is the point. Now, again, we aren't explicitly sure as to why Jesus says, hey, don't tell people about this. But what we do know, what we can know, is that Jesus did not want this miracle, did not want what had just happened, what he just performed, to be circulated around the community. Now, maybe it was because this community would have talked more about the miracle and wouldn't recognize the one who performed it. Maybe uh, they were not ready to know. I mean, Luke has already told us that Jesus taught about this in Luke 8, 10, where, where if you remember, Jesus is teaching in parables, and his disciples are frustrated and say, why do you keep talking like this? Why don't you just talk plain? And then Jesus says, here's why I talk in parables. To you it's been given to know, what, the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, that seeing they may not see, hearing they may not understand. Jesus and the kingdom of God was the center of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus is clear here. Not everyone will see and understand. In fact, Jesus called it a secret. So we see the same thing on display here, that for whatever reason, they were not ready to see, and so Jesus says, don't tell them. Don't tell them. Now, Jesus has yet again, let's zoom out for a little bit and put this in context of Luke 8. Jesus has yet again exercised his perfect authority. Think about this. Think through this text. We've seen the power of Christ over the world, over the storm. We've seen over the demonic, over sickness, and now here even over death itself. The authority of Christ is over all. All. Here's what we need to see. Luke has systematically shown us. The way that Christ has exercised his great power over every different arena of life. Here's the question, why? Why did Luke do this? Why did Luke, what is he getting at? What is he showing us here? Listen, I want to spend the remainder of our time asking, or answering that question. Listen, Luke has already told us. I want to direct our attention to the first verse of Luke. Luke tells us that that many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, they've delivered them to us. And then Luke says, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And then Luke tells him why. Look at verse 4. Here's Luke's purpose. Verse 4 that you may have certainty. That you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. As we close the book of Luke for a season, I want to be clear. God wants to give you certainty of the things that have been taught. We can read about this. We can read about the fact that Jesus is all powerful. We can read about the fact that he is over every aspect of our lives. We can read about the fact that the winds and the waves and they listen to him. We can read about the fact that the supernatural listens to him. We can read about the fact that he has authority over sickness and death. We can read about all of these facts and not realize that Luke writes this, not so that we can just know about these things and about these facts. Luke writes this, that we are able to know Jesus and not just know him, but know him with certainty. I want to just push this. I will be the first to confess. I will be the first to confess. That it is so easy to read this, read all these things and say, yeah, amen, boom. Jesus is over all Authority is his. Amen. I agree. And at the very same time, living my life thinking that my issues, my problems, are just a little too messy, are just a little too big, are just a little bit too out of control, are just a little bit too complicated for Jesus to step in and do something. See, I can trust him with calming a storm, but then I look at my life and I'm thinking, "Eh." do you see the madness of that? The madness, let me just say it again. Brother, sister, God wants to give you certainty this morning. Certainty that he is enough. Certainty that he is just, just as he was all-powerful then. He is all-powerful now, and he will be all-powerful forever. Just as his authority was over all things then, His authority is over all things now and forever. So let us, with the short amount of time we have left, bring all of these truths to bear on our lives, on your life. Let's see together that the truth of this is not just facts for us to know, but the truth of this is God's grace to us to give us certainty in your life. And the way I want to do that is I want to invite you to turn with me over to Romans 8. And we'll finish our time here. Romans 8. If you're using one of our Bibles, page 944. How's that? Listen, I know we don't have much time, but like I said, I want to apply this truth to our lives. The truth of Luke, the truth of the authority of Christ. And I want you to look with me at verse 18. For I consider... This is verse 18 of Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Here Paul is talking about all the struggles that we face in this life. And he says no matter what it is, it does not even compare to the future glory that will be revealed. Then Paul is going to talk about the Holy Spirit In our lives, interceding for us in prayer, sustaining us through the trials, just incredible. But move down with me to verse 31. What shall we say to these things? These things being those problems in life, those struggles in life, the burdens. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who is interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Notice what Paul is asking here. What can separate us from Christ's love? If our Jesus is the Jesus that Luke presents us, if our Jesus is the one who Luke tells us about, the one with all authority, who, what could possibly separate us from him? Is there anything Paul answers that. Verse 37, no. Amen. Amen. No. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, catch what Paul does here. Watch this. Verse 38, for I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, connect what we just read, to the Jesus that Luke presents us in chapter 8. Just think about this. Just think about the gospel of Luke and the Christ of the gospel of Luke. Just think about it. What can separate us, life or death? No, they can't do it. Why? Because we just witnessed Christ's power over life and death. We just saw it demonstrated in the life of Jairus' daughter. What about angels or demons? Can they do it? No. No. Just witness Christ's power over the demonic as he sent legions into pigs. Tribulation or distress, they can't do it either. Just witness Christ's power over sickness, over this woman who was sick for 12 years. And just for good measure, Paul says, how about anything else in creation? Will that do it? And, and Jesus says, and we see Jesus, no. Just witness Christ's power over the storm, over nature Itself. If we understand the Jesus of Luke, then we can understand the hope of Paul. If we can understand the Jesus that Luke portrays, then we can understand the hope of Paul in Romans 8. And listen, it all comes down to this this morning. Absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of Christ because absolutely everything is under the authority of Christ. Let me say this again. Absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of Christ because absolutely everything is under the authority of Christ. Our text today is vitally important for us because no matter what you face, hear me, church, Jesus is bigger Jesus is bigger. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is in control. And because nothing is outside of his control, nothing can separate you from that love. Nothing. It might be easy, as I said, to read the Gospel of Luke like a collection of really interesting stories. And they are. They are really interesting. But the point of Luke is so much bigger The point of Luke is for you to know Jesus, for you to see Jesus, for you to trust Jesus, and to know Jesus with certainty. And so as we close, do you know him? Not just know about him, not just know how cool it was that he said, stop, storm, and it stopped, but do you know him? That he is alive, and that through him we are made alive that he is real, that he is active, and that we can know him and that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you know him? Do you trust him? Through Christ, we can know this morning with absolute certainty that God loves you. Like the woman in our text this morning, we can know with absolute certainty that Jesus cares, that he sees you, that he stops for you. We can know with certainty that he didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us and he will also graciously give us all things. We can know with certainty that you are loved by God and nothing can separate you from that love. We can know with certainty that nothing you face in this life will separate you from your God because nothing you face in this life is out of his control. Do you know him? Do you trust him? Do you know that absolutely nothing can separate you from his love because absolutely everything is under his authority? Let's pray this morning. Lord, we have been able to walk through a truly incredible Scripture. over the last month. Each and every week, you have reminded us through your word who Jesus is, what he has done, his authority, his power. You have pointed us back to him each and every time we come together. And so now, it's only fitting that we end this time in Luke 8 by just stopping to consider who Jesus is. Lord, I know that for many of us, we are in situations right now, we are facing struggles, we might be facing trials, we might be tired, we might be worn down. We might be dealing with relational problems, we might be dealing with just all of the things of life. And we may be tempted here in this moment to think that, yes, Jesus is in control, but I should help him out in my situation, that my situation is different. We might be tempted to think that and feel that, but Lord, would you convict us and show us that you love us and that you care for us and there is no problem too small, no problem too big, that you stop and you see. There is a great joy in knowing that You see us and you love us through Jesus Christ. So Lord, we stand in that. And as we stand in that, we acknowledge who or what does the world have to throw at us? Because we stand strong in the gospel. So Lord, I pray for every person here, every person here, that our understanding of the gospel just grows and that our joy being your child grows And for everyone here, for anyone here who does not yet know the joy of knowing Jesus, I pray that even now in this moment that you would convict and that you would point us again to Jesus. Lord, we come to you now knowing that you are good, so we come just as we are to you. In Jesus' name, amen.